When I was uh, in high school, um, I grew up in a home that had quite a bit of uh, hospitality going on. It was, it was nothing for our family to have people coming through, uh, whether they uh, be family members visiting from, from Europe or uh, uh, pastoral candidates or missionaries or whatever. But I remember one time we had some extended guests come. And uh, it was a single mom who came to live with us uh, that my mom had gotten acquainted with through a Bible study. But this lady was in a very vulnerable position. She had two uh, younger children. Uh, and she had sort of gotten swept up with a group of women. Uh, on a nice day, I would call it a commune. Uh, maybe in some other ways, I'd call it a cult. But she was stuck in there. And, and um, they had encouraged her uh, in her divorce and the, from the proceeds of the divorce had uh, acquired all her finances and um, it had become very cult-like in terms of its exclusivity. And uh, again, I don't know a lot of the details because I was, I was probably about 14 or 15 at the time. But they came to, to move, live in with us because um, my mom had reached out to her, wrote her a letter and said, boy, if you ever need help, if you ever need, just come, let us know. And um, <clears throat> Uh, one day, she kind of snuck out of this house and uh, made a phone call at, at a payphone, uh, and, and um, my mom went down and picked her and the kids up, and, and they moved in with us. And, um, and I tell you that story because it was something beautiful. Someone who was really vulnerable and needed help uh, entered into our world, except that it wasn't easy. Uh, I don't mean to sound bothered, but it, the kids weren't easy to have. I remember the young girl was pulling up potted plants. I remember I had been babysitting and there was a, a check on my desk and she took scissors to it. And I mean, there was stuff like that going on and there was a boy involved. And, um, but it's hard when someone comes and they probably stayed for almost two months with us. Um, uh, but here's the thing. Um, when we say yes to the kingdom of heaven, what we're saying yes to uh, <clears throat> is the hard and the good. And oftentimes when we, ex uh, when we wanna say yes to following Christ, to working in obedience, to seeing God's rule and reign, it actually feels inconvenient and largely uncomfortable. I think what made it difficult is just a few years ago, this lady who had come to live, she's remarried and they have kids, but uh, more kids, and she wrote a book, kind of a self-published memoir, in which in the book um, described uh, what it was like living at our house and talked about how, how cold we kept our house and how clean it was and it made her uncomfortable for having her kids there because she was always going to mess it up and that she had to go and buy sweatshirts for our kids, for her kids because it was so chilly in our house. And here's the thing, like my mom's love language is hospitality. And um, there were some other women who knew about this situation that were wanting to take up arms or take up a fence for my mom. And here's what I would say. We would do the exact same thing all over again, right? Because when you say yes to God's rule and reign, when you say yes to heaven on earth, what you're saying yes to is both the hard and the good. And when you understand who your audience is and whose image you bear, you understand that it never comes like a, like a goosebump. It doesn't always reflect the sort of gratitude that you want or the sort of uh, appreciation that you feel like. In fact, it came with a critique. It came with a criticism. And the reason I tell you that story is because when we talk about the signs of the kingdom of heaven, there's always a mix of the hard and the good. And it, 
the kingdom of heaven on earth, as Jesus described, is hardly grandiose. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is often small, subtle, um, and subversively kind. But it's not always what we imagine it would look like or imagine how it would feel. Today, I want to read a story. Uh, it's a parable that's called, it's the parable of the weeds. And Jesus goes on this journey where he keeps trying to paint a picture for what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Because what we talk about is that eternity has already begun. And heaven isn't something there and then, it's here and now. Heaven isn't something that we just experience when we die, or we have to take it on the chin till Jesus returns. It's actually something that we live into. And the way I would put heaven on earth is restoring, repairing the world as God intended. And so I want to talk about uh, and try and unpack the idea of what heaven on earth looks like because it's something that I think we're not only supposed to experience, it's supposed to be something that we're part of creating. This is what we get to be a part of uh, as a church, but this is what we get to be a part of in our own and individual lives. This helps frame in the calling on each of us who would say, yes, I pledge my allegiance to Jesus. My citizenship is in heaven. So how do I operate on this earth with dual citizenship, right? And so there's, a, there's this, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 13, I want to read for you, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a field of wheat and weeds. And he told them another parable saying, uh, it's like a man who sowed good seed in this field. And while everyone was sleeping, he came in, his enemy sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seeds in your fields? Where then did the weeds come from? Well, he said, an enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? And no, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them in a bundle to be burned. Then gather the wheat uh, and bring it into my barn. See, we live in a world where good and evil coexist, but in the end, only one will remain. Uh, and Jesus uses this parable to paint a picture of what the kingdom of heaven looks like, and it would be different than what John had written to him in kind of an expectation. And what Jesus was saying is, there would be a time where God will come in and destroy the wickedness in this world, but that he would allow his kingdom for right now to grow in the midst of it. C.S. Lewis uh, had a picture of what he was painting when he talked about Judgment Day. It's a curious picture, one that I did not grow up experiencing. Typically, if you grow up thinking about what that day will be like, where you separate the righteous from the unrighteous, the wicked from the righteous, and, and there's this picture of Judgment Day as God saying, you're in, you're out. You're in, you're in. Okay, barely, I'll let you, you're and C.S. Lewis painted a different picture in The Great Divorce where he simply said these words. And he, it was a different analogy that I had ever experienced before, but it resonated with me. And he said, I think the day of judgment, this, this ultimate day of reckoning of our life, isn't God sitting there saying you're in and you're out, but it's the full experience of the presence of God where you'll have one of two reactions. Either you'll be completely enamored with the unfiltered presence of God or be repulsed by it. 
depending on how you've cultivated your life and your heart. I thought that was a really interesting comparison of what that day would be like. But what Jesus is saying to John, to the disciples right now, is that until that day comes where there will be a final separation, there will be my kingdom that grows in the midst of the weeds. In other words, don't worry about who's in and who's out. Don't worry about pulling weeds right now because you might ruin the good stuff. And so the parable also emphasizes that we're not to try to make such a separation between who's in and who's out, but to simply trust God in his justice that God actually sees and trust God with the rewards. See, the kingdom of heaven feels small. It feels subtle. It feels kindly subversive, but it doesn't always feel like God's on his throne. It doesn't feel like God's actually sovereign or that God's actually in control. And so how then do we live in this field, especially when you and I struggle with our own doubts, with our own fears, with our own misgivings, with our own concerns, to which I would say in John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about what we are created as, created to do, and that is to be light. You are the light of this world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. See, the thing is, you can actually be in a place where you're still learning, you're still growing, and you can still be light you can be in a place to be light and be in process but your calling ultimately is to be light and you are the light of the world and here's the thing about light if you flip on the lights it doesn't self-select in other words light isn't tribal do you understand what I mean when I say it's not tribal you can't flip on a light and it just light one person in the room it lights up the entire room and that's how the kingdom of God is supposed to operate and so the idea is you will be uh, this light to the nations by virtue of my light in you your purpose is to shine for all to see in order for all people to be recipients of Christ's life in you that's that's the promise of the resurrection is that the resurrection is is not just one man's promise the resurrection is that we can all experience new life and therefore be light Um, I have a friend who is a medical doctor. He was a surgeon. He was Johns Hopkins trained. uh, And part of paying off his medical school bills is he signed up for the army and he had to go and work in a civilian hospital in Afghanistan. And while he was there, he was not a believer at the time, but one of the things that he struggled with was the ethics of it because he was not trained um, to do medicine the way they were having him do medicine. And when he was there, he was operating on U.S servicemen and women. He was operating on civilians and enemy, but usually in that order, not the greatest order of need. And he was, he was struggling with this on an ethical level because he thought, I should be giving care to whose need is greatest regardless of what side of the war they're on. See, when we flip on the light, it's for all to see. And you are to be light if you believe the resurrection story can become part of your story and your growth, then you are to be God's light for all to see. 
Um, and when it works, light shines on everyone. And when it doesn't work, I think the church is failing. Uh, if, it, it's like saying, well, if you think like us, if you believe like us, um, then you can join us. Then we can find community together, um, which is actually kind of anti-light. There has to be something about faith and community that is intentionally accessible. Now, let me just give a pastoral word of encouragement. Um, I like to encourage us to have what I call a discipline of invitation because community has a double-edged sword. And the community that I'm talking about is the longer we're together, the deeper our relationships will grow. This is true of every single church on the planet. The longer we're together, the more shared experiences, the more the depth of friendship, uh, the greater history we have. But here's the caveat, is that the further we go in community, the harder it is for someone else to join in. The hurdle towards entry becomes problematic because it feels like you're crashing someone else's party. Have you ever walked in or had a cookout or been to someone's house where they gathered and their college friends were there and you're like, I was not part of their college experience, thanks. Uh, have you ever joined in where coworkers have been together like through two moves or some acquisitions and, and all of a sudden you're still the new hire and you've been there for five years? There's something about someone with a history together that makes it hard for new people to enter in. That's why we're so committed to this rhythm of hospitality, which is making room for others as well as learning to receive from others but we need to be able to put faith and community in the most accessible places. And so last week we did Cinco de Bayou, not just because we like throwing these really creative and amazing parties, but because we want to be able to use the idea of a metaphor that is the meal and make it literal because that's what we were given. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Revelation 3.20. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I want to come in and dine with he and he with me. The idea is God wants to establish his presence in our life. And he uses the metaphor of a meal to draw us into community. So we're like, all right, let's have a creative meal in the park. And so what we have coming together was hopeful skeptics and passionate believers. You have people coming who are maybe on food stamps as well as high income earners. You have people who are friends and neighbors, people who have been scarred by the institution of church. I had a conversation with one lady who said, we left the Mormon church because, well, they ha I, I asked, I said, did they... Did they shun you? Did they quit talking? She says, most of them have. And so we haven't been in community for about two and a half years. We got disillusioned with Mormonism, but, and she's looking around and pointing at the party and saying, my kids are missing out on community. And, and it's just like, it's getting like emotional now. And she's talking about kind of the, 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 the kind of counseling she's going to because of the fear and the trust of, of being in the institution of church, but was so hungry for this kind of experience. And I'm like, yep, this is why we do what we do. Because not every one of our friends, not every one of our neighbors are ready to walk into a, a worship service or into your living room. We need to be committed to a discipline of invitation and put faith and community in kind of neutral ways that people would walk into. So I think when we talk about this kind of picture, we're called to be light. Now, what do we do when we have that light and how do we live in light of the resurrection? It means we have to embrace a new identity. And part of your identity as light is to bear witness. 
So this is what Jesus says kind of just right before he ascends back in heaven in Acts 1.8. And you will receive power, which is super important, and, and that creates all kinds of images, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria to all the ends of the earth. Now think about those as concentric circles. Think about those. You will be my witnesses like in your neighborhood, in Austin, in the state, in the all ends of the world. There was something about your reach that's supposed to extend far and wide. Now, the idea of witnessing is problematic because if you're like me, you were trained with some tracks. You were trained in some Bible memory and, and there was this idea that you go out witnessing. And for me, we would go out in teams and we would go out in pairs and we would want to tell people about Jesus, but usually it was in some kind of survey. Uh, there would be some kind of propositional truths that you would communicate. But what he's saying here is not a noun. You are not, uh, or excuse me, you are, a, you are a, a witness, which is to say you're not witnessing. Does that make sense? In other words, it's your life your experience with Christ has somehow impacted the way you live, and that is your testimony. That is your witness. Now, words help. To be able to talk about the difference that Christ is making, that's powerful. I think one of the best things we can do is have baptisms where people express uh, the difference Christ is making and why they're choosing to follow in water baptism. But the idea is, is that we don't go out witnessing our lives are the witness. And so uh, possibly you're someone who has seen or heard or experienced something profound and it's changed you. You've had an encounter with Christ and it's affected your view of your possessions. It's affected your stewardship of all your resources. It's affected the way you, you view your own life. Uh, uh, and, and all of these things, your thinking or your concern for others, because your life is now no longer your own, that's your witness. So be light, be light. And that's what he's talking about here. And this is what I, I, I love. So we're at Cinco de Bayou and you've got Burmese, right? To all the other parts of the world, except they came to Austin. And there was a sense of pride. I didn't know they were bringing as much food as they were bringing until Saturday night. But, but there's community because it's not me having a few relationships there. It's like everyone knowing them because we've been in their apartments and they've been in, in, in our events and in our homes. And, and now they're with pride coming to share their food in our cultural exchange. And it's their people helping make crawfish with us because there's something dignified about an exchange in friendship. And then it's all these other people that are kind of joining in and, and, and vendors who are setting up the jump house not wanting to even take a tip uh, because there's something different about this community. There's something different about the diversity of people uh, and the kind of celebration of it. And, and there was this witness that was being portrayed without words really even being spoken. There's so much to celebrate today and you can get a glimpse of it in a slideshow. But until you walk into it, until you host someone at it, do you see it through this different lens? In John 20, 22, there's an interesting phrase that says Jesus breathed on them and received the Holy Spirit, which is an interesting phrase. He breathed on them. Um, it was people who are already following Christ. It was already people, presumably, who had the Spirit of God dwelling in them. They have the Holy Spirit, but they're supposed to wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So what is it that that means? Like, 
Should I wait a little longer? Um, how long do I wait? What am I supposed to wait for? What will this feel like? What will this, is it because I get more Bible knowledge? And so I would simply say that there is something about our availability to respond. The best way I can describe it is personal revelation leads to action. It says that they were supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit. And, and so when God gives us a glimpse when the Spirit gives you an urging, a prompt, a check in your spirit, there's something that we're supposed to be available to and respond to. So when Jesus comes and he breathes the Holy Spirit, what they're receiving is this greater work of the Spirit, and that work is up to you to cultivate. So when we talk about the rhythm of renewal, we're talking about a growing awareness of the presence of God, to turn either away or turn toward. But there's this work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and through you, and it's based on our availability. In John chapter 3, Jesus describes that the Spirit is like wind, and we don't know which way the wind blows. But when we sense the Spirit of God is moving, that's where we're supposed to move. So if we're driving and even running late, but there's someone alongside the road and we feel this compulsion to help, maybe you're supposed to yield to that prompt. Or if you're in some kind of position to be able to respond to someone who just, you you saw something in their body language and you just want to stop and say, is everything okay? Maybe we're supposed to turn towards that because we're supposed to be available in that. This is what it means to bear light. This is what it means to be a witness. And the work of the Spirit is to yield to it simply by being available. Not by having a seminary degree or not by feeling like, oh my gosh, if I get into a spiritual conversation, I'm going to run out of runway because I don't have that much to say about it. Enter in. Be available. Practice our rhythm of renewal so that you turn either away or towards, but start to cultivate this kind of yieldedness to the Spirit of God. That's what it means to be a witness. See, when we started this new normal campaign, it was, okay, we saved a bunch of money. We saved $1,500 in our, in our small little community. And so I want to start hearing the stories of what you've done with $25 gift cards, right? I want to hear what stories. We passed out some $50 envelopes so that we have these engagements. Yes, we want to practice generosity and compassion. Super important to just engage people on that level. But as we talked about, the kingdom of God is also like a seed. We're not trying to do something grandiose. We're not trying to change the world. What we're trying to do is seed the kingdom of God by simple, ordinary, everyday opportunities to be light. So part of the practice of the new normal is just having a sensitivity to the, to the leading of the Spirit. So what are you doing armed with your gift card? What are you doing armed with $50? Because I hope that after this little month-long experiment goes, you're starting to cultivate this, oh, I'm getting more familiar with what the voice of the Spirit, the prompts of the Spirit sound like in my life. This is what this is about. This is how we're trying to build a culture uh, in our church and, and a tenderness, a responsiveness to the leading of God. So when we, live, when, when we understand we live in a world that includes both weeds and wheat, we understand that we live with this tension, right? 
we live with a tension that says, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there corruption and why is there greed and why is there disease and human trafficking? Why do all these things exist? And what we learn is that Jesus says, it says this kingdom of heaven is like a, wheat, a field full of wheat and wheels. And he's, he's saying, I'm present in all of it. I'm with you in the good and the hard. And my kingdom is supposed to grow in the middle of weeds. I got to be honest, when I watch the news, I start to get a little discouraged because it feels like the world is being overtaken by weeds. Um, it feels so dark. It feels so salacious. It feels so discouraging. It feels like, it feels like a field of weeds. And what Jesus is saying is there is light and I'm with you in the middle of that field and you're to be my witnesses in the midst of it. So keep sowing the seeds, keep doing the stuff because A, you're not alone. There's others like you. And B, I'm with you in the midst of it. No, don't get, don't, don't just eliminate all the weeds. This isn't about just getting, returning Christianity to prominence in the political arena. He's saying, no, 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 no. This is about being light in, in subtle, in kind, in generous, in compassionate ways so that the kingdom of God can have its rule and reign beginning in my heart and we become light to be a testimony of the resurrection living in us. I'm in the good and the heart. That's the parable of the weeds. Can we pray together? We're going to have a time where we're going to go into a time of communion and just open up. And I, I want to just pray about our consideration of that. Our Heavenly Father, I'm aware that we live with such tension because things feel unresolved and things feel very dark. Things feel very um, hopeless things feel unsurmountable, but I'm aware that you reign supreme, that you are on your throne. And I pray for a growing awareness of your presence in each of our lives. I pray that you would inspire us in generosity, inspire us with compassion. I pray that there would be a testimony of our lives, both individually and collectively, of a yieldedness to your Holy Spirit. We would confess readily that there are many counterfeit spirits, but I pray for a, just a, a dispensation of your discernment that we might understand how you're guiding, how you're directing, how you're leading us to be part of your kingdom on earth. Help us to live with this sacred trust of dual citizenship that we can restore and repair your kingdom of heaven on earth. Help us to understand the world that you intended and we can be a part of that in simple and in ordinary ways. I pray that we would have just a sense of you um, in the hard and the good and gratitude would become our testimony. But would you speak to us now as we worship you uh, with around the table and as we worship you uh, in song, as we worship you in our own confession. We give you this time, we pray in Jesus' name.